Welcome to Marin Costello Radio, where we have intentional conversations with impactful people, your weekly dose of motivation, inspiration, and entrepreneurship. Join me as we explore the ins and outs of building and running a business, interview leaders across all industries, and find the common denominator beneath it all. This is Marin Costello Radio. Folks, do we have a special show for you today? Eight Sleep is the world's first sleep fitness brand with a mission to fuel human potential through optimal sleep. Eight Sleep leverages thermoregulation, data, and technology to design products to restore individuals to their peak energy levels every morning. Eight Sleep was named one of Fast Company's most innovative companies and recognized two years in a row by Time's Best Innovations of the Year. Alexandra Zatarain is Eight Sleep's co-founder and VP of Brand and Marketing. She is changing the conversation around rest and recovery entirely by developing sleep fitness as a category and a new movement that is improving the overall quality of the human experience. In shaping the company's vision, Zatarain has established Eight Sleep as a category leader and premier provider of smart mattress technology. In addition to her mission surrounding improved sleep, she is also she also wants to bring underrepresented groups into Eight Sleep's pool of talent and investors. She holds spots in Forbes 30 under 30 list of young professionals making an impact in the consumer technology industry and Inc's list of top 100 female founders. Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for that intro. Oh my gosh, you are so impressive. How are you today? I'm doing well. I'm doing really, really well. I had a good night's sleep last night, so I'm feeling great. We're gonna, I have a feeling we're going to be talking about sleep quite a bit on the show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so where are you uh, tuning in from? I'm based in Miami, actually. Moved here from New York a couple of years ago, um, you know, with all these COVID moves and have been here for two years and really loving it. Amazing. I am now Tampa-based. I'm almost um, up to two years. So we are distant neighbors. Yes. So one of the questions that we always ask on the show to give an idea of the full spectrum of who we're interviewing is what was little Alex like? Oh gosh, that's such a good way to ask about this. Um, <laughs> what was I like? I mean, honestly, I think just a, a lot of who I am today was always reflected in who I was as a kid. I grew up in Tijuana in Mexico. I'm Mexican. My parents are from Mexico. Um, so that's where I grew up. That's where I lived until I was 18. Then I moved for college still in Mexico. And then I finally moved to the U.S. after graduation. So I grew up in a place that was very much like a border town, you know, a lot mix of cultures and we speak English and we speak Spanish. And um, I think that really shaped me. And it, I, I'm really grateful to have been, been given this opportunity to grow in a place that was so exposed to those other cultures, both to the U.S. because we're so close to it physically and culturally, but also to all the immigrants that come to Tijuana, which is really a place of immigrants, just like my father was at the time when he moved and he like built his business there. Um, and so for me, it was sort of almost like this land of opportunity and the idea that I could really do anything when I grew up, like there were no limits. My parents always supported me in anything that I wanted to do, any project, any idea. I was very bossy. I was very active. I was very much a nerd in school. And so I always wanted to do things. I always wanted to start things with my friends and organizations and we wanted to do maybe like some something to give back to communities and, and so like it was just always go 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 and I think for sure my parents could remember all the sorts of things I dragged them to do and they always supported me and I think that's part of what fuels me to still have that attitude today. That's amazing you mentioned uh, your father's business was that your first exposure to entrepreneurship? 
It was. Yeah. My, my dad started his business like probably when he was in his early thirties and um, he, you know, has sort of a story where he didn't even finish um, sixth grade. So he had to take care of his family when he was really young. Eventually he moved from Sinaloa in Mexico to Tijuana, started his business, taught himself how to speak English, started doing business with American brands of auto parts, selling them, distributing them across Mexico. So you know, it was very inspiring. My mom, on the other hand, very much a nerd, a physician, top of her class, master's, PhD. So I always had like this, this two sides of it, right? And this two ways to achieve your own success and build your own life, uh, but also seeing the ups and downs of a business. Eventually, my dad, when we were older, lost his business. And so, um, you know, going through all of those motions of what that, that means and, and how do you carry through failure as well and how at the end of the day you can reinvent yourself and like it's going to be okay also when things don't go your way. What did his next chapter look like after the business folded? It was very different, you know, when he was much older. And so I think that that was also pretty interesting to see how, you know, he, he basically just almost what we say now, like he hustled just anything that he could do and anything he could get involved in and projects. And he had a lot of relationships and a big networks so that really helped him. Um, and he was always just looking for ways to help people and that led him to continue to have an income. But it was complete shift for him, for the family. Um, but it was interesting for me in that time when I was a teenager to see how it, it wasn't really about the money that really gave us the value as a family, but staying together, working towards the common goals, you know, doing what we had to do in order to just keep things afloat because family is an organization. Um, and we couldn't just depend on him figuring things out, but we sort of all had to figure it out together. So it was a very specific time of our lives when all of that happened. And I think it really shaped my thinking around work. Started working when I was pretty young to in order to pay my ballet classes. Well, I had to be a teacher and in order to go do this trip and then I had to do this TV commercial. I, just, I would find anything that I could do. And it was fun. I always loved it. That's amazing. Was your what was your first experience with being an entrepreneur? I imagine it was on the younger side. You know, I I never thought of it as being entrepreneurial. Like I never started sort of a business when I was a kid. I know there's a lot of kids that do and they sell things, they do things like that, but I was always doing stuff. So I would do a lot of things at school. I would be involved in like student organizations. I was my class president was in high school. And so we would raise funds. We would raise money for our graduation, for class trips. Uh, we would do things. Um, I went to a Catholic school. So we would do a lot of gift backs to the community and volunteering. And so I was always just leading these sorts of projects and organizing people. And I, I enjoyed it. And I didn't really think about it as, oh, I'm a leader or anything like that. It was just part of what I liked to do. So those were my first experiences in terms of leadership um, that I guess it is like being an entrepreneur because you are running the show in your own, in your own way. You are now the, the spearheading force of branding and marketing with Eight Sleep. Do you remember your first experience with branding and marketing where you had to maybe shift something or pitch something or reframe something to make it appealing to the market? I do, because actually it's connected to what I was just mentioning when I was in my last year of high school, we would do this, you know, you could run to be like class president or, you know, whatever the equivalent is here in the U.S. And I decided, given my inclinations to be outspoken and bossy and be a leader, that I had to do this, that I was something that, you know, it made a lot of sense and I was really excited about. And it was, it was the first time I remember that I really had to like first go and convince someone to run with me. In my school, you had to run as a, 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 a male or female. So it was sort of like you had to pick the other person or I don't know if they still run it this way, but at the time it was like this. And so you had to pick a partner to run with you and you had to build your own little committee of like the people who would be part of your um, 
structure of, of, of people sort of running the show for that year. And uh, we had to come up with a name of our own, uh, call it like political party, right? You had to have a name for your campaign. You have to brand it and you have to campaign. You have to like come up with all of the things you're going to improve in the school and you have to go class by class and pitch it. And it was a lot of fun. Like it, it really, I already knew at the time when I was doing this, what I wanted to study in school. I studied communication. So I had already sort of that direction and, and vision of like, I, this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to learn what it was like to communicate, to convince people, to brand, to market. Um, and that was pretty cool. We ended up branding everything around sort of a theme around movie and stars. And it was, it was really fun. That's amazing. What has your relationship with sleep been from young Alex to now? I am a great sleeper. Honestly, I'm a really, really good sleeper. And my husband, who's my co-founder, makes fun of me because, you know, people apparently around the world think Mexicans are always napping. Like, apparently, <laughs> built that somehow. They depict us that way in movies in the old days. And so he's like, maybe that's a Mexican cheat. And I guess it is. And I'm an amazing sleeper. Um, and so I think what has really happened to me over the course of now eight years working on eight sleep is becoming much more mindful of how do I really build the routines in my life to allow for great sleep. I certainly wasn't eight years ago when I first started working eight sleep, I was in my twenties and I could just feel like I could fall asleep anytime and I could recover during the weekend. But now I'm very mindful about my sleep. So that has definitely changed. I built my routines around it from the time that we have dinner to what time I want to work out to the foods that I eat. Uh, because what I have realized is that without a good night's sleep, I really don't feel great the next day. I just don't, I don't feel as productive. I don't think my brain is as active and fast and I sort of speak slower and I don't have such good creative ideas. So I found it to be the most important part of my health routine, but also just my productivity. So I prioritize it. And if that means that maybe I'm not going to work out or I'm not going to spend as much time watching a TV show, that's fine. Cause I know how important sleep is now versus when I was younger, I didn't necessarily think about it that way. Oh my gosh. When I was younger, I could function on little to no sleep. I mean, I, I think the rumor for me is that Marin doesn't sleep. <laughs> and now I'm like, oh no, post 30, she does. She has to. <laughs> yes. It changes for sure. Post oh 30, my gosh. People, post 25, things really start to change. Wow. So you mentioned that you work with your husband. How did you guys decide to go into business together? It was nothing we ever really discussed, which is funny. We didn't necessarily sit at the table and say, should we do it? Should we not do it? It just sort of happened. Um, Mateo was a lawyer and then he started a couple of businesses before eight sleep in a completely different field. And so he was already an entrepreneur by the time we met. And when we started living together, it was very evident that we have complementary skills, right? He's sort of like the business person. He understands all of that side of like, how do you build an organization? How do you raise money? How do you, you know, hire great people? And on my end, it was all that interest in marketing and brand and communication. So it was just complementary skills. And we thought, well, there's some ideas that maybe he had or I had, and we started working on them on the weekends. Like we, he had his previous company and I had my full-time job and we just started playing around with things. And we put a whiteboard up in our apartment in New York and would you know, sketch things. And it was just initially sort of having fun. And then you start learning how to work together in the course of that. And so when the idea for Eat Sleep came about, which came from Mateo and his own struggles with sleep, um, he started working with our other co-founder, Max, on the technology. And when they were ready to really 
bring this to market, they asked me if I wanted to take care of that side. But by then we had already been for probably two, three years playing around with ideas and building websites and trying to sell things. And so we knew enough about what each of us would bring to the table and to trust also what we were going to be owning for the business. So there's the three of you that are the co-founders. What does the rest of your company structure look like? It is, I would say a bit complex because the company that does consumer electronics does have many areas. So we actually have I think we are six or seven executives in the company. Um, so we have you know, our, our CEO, who's Matteo, but we have the technology side, which is all sort of like our backend, our machine learning, our AI. That's where our, our co-founder, Max, uh, focuses on as a CTO. But we also have R&D. That is all of the part where like the latest and greatest innovations come from. So every time you see we launch a new product, uh, the team's already working years ahead on the next things, but also all of the clinical validation of our products as well to be able to prove the benefits that we bring to our users, which is a very important piece uh, for Eight Sleeping that we're a mission-driven company. We have a head of hardware, we produce hardware. So there's all the development of hardware and design and manufacturing and quality. So it's that's a pretty complicated piece. Um, we have our digital experience, so the mobile application and everything that comes with it from the insights, the sleep reports to the content, anything that you see in the Eight Sleep app, which is really how you interact with our products. Um, then we have operations and we have marketing as well. So it's a lot of, of different areas that come together in the end to just deliver a great night's sleep. What <clears throat> was the initial impetus to creating the product or creating the company? Because you guys have many products. The sort of problem that we faced was Mateo's own struggles with sleep. So he was an athlete growing up. And uh, then, like I mentioned, he became a lawyer and became an entrepreneur. So very much the type of person who's like on the go-go, like achieve, work hard. And at some point in his life, he started struggling with sleep. So he sort of thought, well, why are we not innovating in this space? How is it possible that as he started to look into potential products he could get to solve these problems, there was nothing in the market. There, what we saw in the, in the market landscape is that there were companies building very comfortable products. So mattresses, pillows, bedding, and they do a great job at that, but that's only one piece, right? Like the, the comfort around you is not actually the most important piece for you to get a good night's sleep. Um, and so that was one, there were pharmaceuticals, which are not good for you at all. You shouldn't be taking them and they don't give you actual sleep, it's fake sleep. And then there's a third category, which is wearables. At the time when we started eight sleep, there were some wearables that were beginning to do sleep tracking, but they were not designed for sleep. And then we also thought, well, data is just a piece of it, right? It is important to know how you're sleeping, but that's not really improving your sleep. And that's what he became obsessed with. And he always says this phrase of like, why is Elon trying to take humanity to Mars, but no one's trying to solve a third of our lives here and just trying to build great technology for sleep improvement. And that's a mission of date sleep is we believe that technology can actually be used to optimize sleep so that you can get the best sleep of your life every single night. And that's how we sort of gotten to where we are today and the products that we sell and we'll continue to innovate until when we can solve all of the problems people may be facing with their, with their sleep. So there's a white space in the market. What is the first product that you all go into developing? Because now, like I said, you have such an array and I want you to speak to the amazing variety of products for your customers. But what is, where do you start? We have been through a long journey building our products because we create hardware, it's consumer electronics. So it's not just sort of, you know, CPG or, you know, we don't just sell like supplements or something like that. And, you know, 
I know many founders that do and many that do them really, really well. But in our case, the, 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 the premise on which 8Sleep is built is the use of technology and very specifically two sides of the technology. One is we believe that in order for you to get your best night of sleep, the environment that you sleep in needs to be personalized. Everyone is different. Every single night of sleep is different. As we age, we need different things. As we go through things in life, we'll also have different needs. So the personalization aspect is really key. And that's what led us to focus on first putting sensors in the bed. Putting sensors in the bed will then give us all the information that we needed to know about how you're sleeping, what gives you best night of sleep, what's happening in your bedroom, your temperature, humidity, things like that. So that then the other side of it is create the technology that can adjust all of the key factors of your environment to give you that great rest. Um, so that's what we've kept developing today. The first product was sort of like a very basic version of that. It had sensors in the bed. It would track two people at the same time. At the beginning, it did very maybe not basic tracking, but more basic than where it is today because it takes years to gather enough data to develop algorithms to perfect them. Um, so it would just, you know, track your presence in the bed and like sleep stages, maybe it wasn't as accurate, but it was enough for us to start doing a few things like wake you up at the time you were in light sleep. It was managing the temperature in the bed, only warming it up. Um, so it was sort of very basic, but we went out to market with that and we put it up on a crowdfunding platform and it sold like $1.8 million in, 45, 60 days. So we were like, well, now people want it. Now I guess we have to really build more of these units and, and, and we have to scale from there. But that was the starting point. We built prototypes, we validated out in the market. We saw people wanted it. And we started also getting requests from people on what else they wanted us to build. And from there, we just started rolling. That's amazing. What is the goal with eight sleep? What is your, what is all of your North star? let's help people achieve sleep fitness. We measure our success and our ability to actually give you a good night's sleep. It doesn't matter how many products we sell. At the end of the day, the business will only be big if we help people solve their problems. I imagine your target market is everyone because alas, everyone needs sleep, but who is the niche market that either you target internally or that ends up finding your product? Sometimes they're different is, with, with my brand, who we speak to and then who comes to us are actually different. Yes. No, this is a, a big thing that I always talk about because you, you're totally right. People say, well, everyone sleeps. Like, why aren't you speaking to this and speaking to that and targeting this and targeting that? And we made that mistake early on in, in, in the journey of eight sleep. We we thought, well, let's let's just be for everyone and let's just sell to everyone and let's create all these different funnels to all these different people. And the reality is when you are a startup or a small business, that becomes really expensive, both in time and in money. So we went through an, a, a period of time where we just completely switched our mindset there. And we we uh, heard from someone that we worked with this, this phrase that I, I always repeat is like, we can't be all things to all people. And that's what you need to remind yourself every day as you're building a business and that it, there's actually riches in the niches, they say. Um, and so what we found as our niche that is still very much the customer that we speak to today and who is also our most vocal advocate of the brand and the product is a person who is very much into their health and wellness. They're making investments. They understand how important sleep is and they're already investing in it in some ways. So we don't have to convince them and educate them on the importance of sleep. They already get it. 
which is much more cost effective for a company running marketing, right? And do we know that eventually we'll have to speak to the rest, right? We'll have to go from the people who get it and invest in it to those who know sleep is important, don't invest in it yet. And then eventually that outermost circle of people who don't even think or know about the importance of sleep, but we'll get there. And you just have to be patient and you have to build the journey. So the best way to describe it for me is like you gain those first advocates in the, in the middle of that spiral. And if you do a good job and you deliver on your promise to give them a good night's sleep, then they will be the ones that will help you evangelize to the next rings. And that's how you're going to scale and become like a mass consumer product. Um, but for us, these advocates, these like health and wellness interested, high performance individuals, um, we work with a lot of athletes, we work with a lot of CEOs, a lot of big business leaders, um, they just get it. And they really have helped us build the community we have today. How do you garner new leads in your business now? Yeah. So we are direct consumer. So that comes with its pros and its challenges. We get to manage our entire journey and all of our funnels, but obviously can also become pretty expensive sometimes to, to, to go through marketing. So we, we think about it two sides. The first most important one is how do we grow our awareness in the market? And because we understand who our customer is, then we focus on building trust within the, those communities first. So a lot of it is through our own community. We see a lot of success with our referral program, with our word of mouth. Where do, we do a lot of campaigns around shareability, like just in, involving our community and being the ones that speak on our behalf. Um, and the other part is working with a lot of content creators and athletes and influencers and other brands as well who can tell that story for us as well. So the trust piece is how we focus on building the awareness so that it's very cost effective and it can tell our story in a more genuine way. And then once we get people into our into our website and we get them into our funnel, they sign up for our email or SMS list, there's a lot of education. Our product is expensive, right? People are spending close to $3,000 and buying this technology to improve their sleep. So there is the need to educate them and share with them the reasons why they should consider this. Um, and the last piece that is also important, I think, in terms of gathering leads and converting them is the experience that we give them. If you get the product and you don't like it, it doesn't work for you, send it back. You know, our customer service and people rave about it. It's just for us, your, your sleep is first. Doesn't matter if you're our customer or not. Um, so we just want to make sure that as a mission-driven business, we keep that at the top of our list and like give people a super good experience with all of our customer service, like end-to-end. -end. You mentioned that your product needs a lot of education. How much do you spend, not dollar-wise, but as far as energy and promotion and communication with your audience, how much do you spend conversing and teaching versus selling. And I think this is an important lesson because we have a lot of entrepreneurs who listen to this podcast, um, kind of understanding the cadence of how to speak to your customers. We probably do, I'd say at least 70% on the education. Now, granted, the education happens in a lot of different ways. It's not, the way I think of our marketing is like, it's not a straight line. You know, there are so many different touch points we've created, and we want to make sure that if you are within our target uh, customer base, that you hear about eight sleep from multiple sources and that each of them can tell you their own story. So most of our education actually happens through that first bucket that I was describing of our 
own members that use the product talking about it and sharing their stories. Why do they use it? How do they use it? Why do they love it? What does it do for them? That's education, right? Um, but also our content creators, our influencer partners, our affiliate partners, our athletes, all of these relationships are structured in a way where every one of these people has the product and that they can speak about why they love it, how they use it. Why did they decide to buy it? So that as a peer, if you're listening to them, you can see yourself reflected in part of their stories and they're doing that education for us. Once you come into like our email lists or our SMS lists, the education can become a bit more formal. That is the company speaking to you. And that's when we will also try to tell you the stories of our members and our athletes, but we'll also get a bit more technical. We'll tell you like, well, this is a product. These are the features. Here's a new product. Here's where you should get it, right? Um, but that way you can find both. You can find the people speaking to you about it. And then if you come to the brand, the brand will also get much more on the specifics of the technology, the innovation, the clinical claims, et cetera. Which facet of marketing do you see having the highest ROI? They're all important, um, right? Because you, everyone yeah. has a different way that they like to be spoken to. I even think even, even within social media, people have their preferences on which platform. And then the, in the greater scheme of marketing, there's so many more you know, avenues to speak to your customer, but which one do you think is the most effective for you? I really think the two that are most effective based both on the data that we see, but I think in, in the long term, it'll be much more clear to us and to all brands is everything that happens with word of mouth. So your users speaking to people about why they love the product. And similarly, which is not necessarily organic advocacy, but the work that we do with content creators, so influencers or athlete ambassadors. And they're very similar, right? It's people talking to you. And even though some of these relationships may be sponsored or paid, or people may be incentivized or like our affiliate partners, I think consumers understand that, but they still value when opinions are being shared, when the stories are being told from a person versus a brand trying to speak to them directly. You mentioned that you are currently strictly direct to consumer is there any flirtation with wholesale does that pop in at all <laughs> there is and there has been at many times the challenge that we have is we're a new category when we speak to any retailer and you know retailers hearing can maybe reach out to us if they think differently but our experience has been that they see our product and they say, well, you're going to be placed in the section with the mattress covers or the mattress protectors or the sleep trackers, right? And we're like, well, we're not. We're we're sort of a sleep aid, but we're also for fitness, right? We're like, for health enthusiasts. So like, where do you place us? It's definitely a challenge. And it is really important for us as we build our, our brand that our story is well told, that our products are positioned in a way that people can understand them properly. Otherwise, we don't believe that that's going to lead to good business if we're just put there, but no one is merchandising it in a way that actually the story of eight sleep comes to light. Does it really deserve its own department? Where do you see it? I am imagining in my mind's eye when you said that I imagined a department store. So you go into a department store and where does eight sleep live? It's unto itself on its own floor? I think it will need its own space. And, yeah. and as a company that's building its own category, I say often, I want other brands to come into the space. It is in our interest that there is a 
wide range of products within the sleep fitness space, that there are multiple brands building solutions, because that's how we get this to really be a part of more people's lifestyles and eventually have our own spaces in department stores and in um, any sort of, of, of retail space. But that doesn't exist right now. I think even the way a mattress is purchased or a pillow is purchased, it's, it's a commodity, it's a piece of furniture, but companies like Eight Sleep, like we think way beyond this. We're obsessed with the real results that you get, not with just the, the product, right? It's about what you get out of it. It doesn't matter how many layers of foam it has or like whether the stitching was handmade. It's like, how are you waking up every morning? Right. Um, and so I think that's why the category is just not a fit for us right now. Once a customer gets into your funnel and they purchase your product, the main product, what does repeat business look like? And then on top of that, how quickly do you internally need to innovate in order to come up with new innovations or new products to keep your customers in the funnel excited and repeat customers? That's a pretty relevant question because we just released three weeks ago. Um, the latest pod. So the pod is our signature product. The pod is a technology you can place on any mattress and it tracks your sleep and your health biometrics, your HRV, your heart rate, rest, respiratory rate, sleep stages, sleep time, et cetera. And then it uses that information to create the perfect microclimate for sleep. So it heats and cools each side of the bed to what you need throughout the night, changing it, adjusting it to your local weather, to your uh, room temperature, and also to what it has learned is the best temperature for you to sleep in every phase of your sleep. Um, so that's, again, the product we're, we're like best known for. We introduced it the first time in early 2019. We introduced a new version in, um, was it 2020, actually, right, in the middle of a pandemic in, in May 2020. And then we just introduced pot three um, three weeks ago. So that was at the end of July of, of this year. And what we continue to see is that desire from our members to upgrade to the latest and greatest. And we... What we understand now from speaking to many of them is that the reason they do it is because they really come to eight sleep for sleep improvement, and they want the latest product that can help them achieve that. So our, our upgrade cycles there are very different, even from the categories we were just talking about, like mattresses, right? It's, it's not about just having a piece of furniture and keeping it forever, but instead it is an investment in their health. And so they're spending accordingly. So every time that we release a new version of the pod, we have designed it in a way that's easy to upgrade. You don't need to replace the entire system. You can replace parts of it. Um, but that means that people are coming more often to, to change it up as they wish. They don't have to. They get a lot of the software updates that we release, everyone gets it regardless of the version you're on of the pod, but it's just part of the community and the brand we build where it's like having an iPhone. You want the latest one. Totally. Do you, being that you work with your partner, do you seek to build this company and then sell it? Or is this a company for your family legacy that you're building? Yeah. You know, it's, it's way, it's not a family business. So I think that that's what we think about. It's so different. Um, we're not, we never started this as if we were not married when we started the company. Um, and so it's not a family business. We have a lot of investors. We've raised I don't know, over $160 million or something in venture capital. So it's very, very different. So it's true through and through like a venture backed fast growth company. And so really our biggest ambition would be for this company to be around a thousand years from now. Right. We believe someone's going to build a company that is going to change how people sleep through innovation, through technology. We think Eight Sleep is the company best positioned to do that right now. But if 
it's not us, someone will do it. Like, it's just a matter of fact, like it's such a big part of our lives and our health and our ability to like, be the humans that we want to be a thousand years from now. So that's where we would want to be. And, and I think probably like the roadmap that will take us there is more being like a publicly listed company because we are very brand oriented, very mission oriented. And it will be hard to believe that there's another company out there who could really get that. Talk a little bit about the quick growth of your company and how you all internally have pivoted and adjusted to that growth. It's been a bit of a rocky curve. Like I think the first years were like really fast and then it sort of slows down and we went um, early on in, in the company's history, we went through the program at Y Combinator and they have this famous chart where they show sort of what is what is the path of, of a startup. And they have this face of the journey after that initial launch that they call like the, the, the throw of sores or something like that. It's just like this flat line where like nothing's happening and you can't seem to figure anything out. So we've been through all of those things. And I think for us, the growth has really accelerated when we introduced the pod to market. That's the product that we have known for years. People wanted, they wanted a full microclimate. They wanted to cool. They wanted to heat. They wanted the data connected to it. They wanted an integrated solution, all of those bells and whistles. And like we delivered on it. And from there, the company has just been accelerating so fast. So we've had, to adjust constantly. And I think especially as, as founders, we really see ourselves as executives in our own position. Like there's no distinction between like, yeah, we're founders, we're on the board, but in reality, it's like each of us has a role and we need to fulfill that role and we need to keep up with the pace. And that means like, if I have to deliver that revenue number every month, every quarter, by the end of the year, then I need to make sure that I'm growing at the pace that the company needs, that I'm learning. And if at any point in time, any of us thinks like we're not the fit to be in that position to move aside, right? The interest of the company come first. And that's also part of that growth. You constantly see yourself sort of rethinking, what is your position in the company? Am I the best person to do this? If not, do we need to bring someone else in? Do I need to stretch myself? Where do I need to grow? So it's much more of an emotional journey, as I'm sure any entrepreneur could attest to, than anything else. What does your daily schedule look like? It has changed a lot since obviously starting to work from home. I think like that has been a big life shift. Um, but it's very standard also, I, I, you know, we don't have kids yet. So it's like, it's our kid. That's where we spend all of our times. We just got a puppy like seven months ago, who's right next to me here sleeping. So that was probably like throwing a wrench into our routine, like getting a puppy and having to do things for this other living being, but it, it's been good. It adds, it adds a lot of randomness to our life. Um, but it, it's very, it's very simple. It's, you know, I wake up usually sleep eight to nine hours every night and we'll just wake up, do the first hour sort of very relaxing and feed the dog and take the dog out and, 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 and taking it pretty calmly and work out in the morning is when it, it, it does best for me. And then by 9am sit in my computer, starting calls by 11 and then finishing by seven. And yeah, I stay on my phone until the end of the day. I, I'll just, you know, keep working, keep answering, keep reviewing documents, but it, it really feeds me. I love working with my team. Everyone is remote. So all of the day is really back-to-back -back calls and making sure that I am interacting with everyone, that I understand where everyone's mindset is and their motivation and their energy. Um, but it's, it's, I think, pretty standard. It's not as glamorous as people may think. Nothing is. I'm, I'm in a an industry where you think everything is literally shiny. <laughs> everything <laughs> is sparkly and shiny, but that is a very small percentage. The sparkliness and shininess of what I do on a day-to-day -day basis is the smallest percentage of what actually happens. Yes, exactly. So let's talk a little bit about nature versus nurture, because you grew up in a family that was very hardworking, 
that hustled in their own respective industries that was constantly motivated. So you were brought up, and I have a similar story. I was brought up in that environment of people who were around me who were driven and, um, and motivated. But what is your personal motivation? What drives you, Alex, the individual? Uh, it's a great question. I have over the past probably two, three years, really try to analyze all of these things. And before I get into like what drives me, one of the things that I identified when looking back at my early years and the years I spent at home was that I cannot remember either my mom or my dad talking to me about hard work. They never told me I had to work hard. They just showed it to me. You know, they just proved it in their day to day. I never heard my parents complain about work. And so working was never spoken about in my home as something negative. Work was a blessing. Having the opportunity to make money, to earn for your family, to send your kids to the schools you want to. And, you know, obviously the realities in Mexico are very different. And I grew up in a middle-class environment. So I was very, very fortunate. And so my parents having not come from that, they built it for themselves. And so for them, this was all a blessing. And I really never heard them complain about it. And I think that that sticks with you as a kid. Um, and so when, when now I think about why I am so driven or why I really love producing for myself as well, right. And doing my own things and being independent and being able to buy my own home. And like, it's because that's what I saw and no one had to tell me with words. It's just what was, what I saw, what was expected. Like I never thought there was any other way to do it. And, and, and I think in my personal drive, it's always been since when I was young, just, I, I get a lot of um, just pleasure from finding my next limit. I like, I'm, I'm very much like a natural, naturally inclined person to achieve, but my achievement is, is really most enjoyed when I realize that I could do more than I thought I could. And I think that over the years building eight sleep, there's been so many times I've surprised myself and said, wow, like I didn't think I could actually be doing what I'm doing now or that I could get to understand this concept. I could get to run this team or I could bring this person into my team and convince them to join me. And so each of those then is sort of feeding and fueling my next phase and, and the next thing that I want to prove to myself that I can also do. You seem to be a very grounded human and one who has a lot of clarity, both of themselves and of your respective environment and work being one of them, even though it is a virtual environment. Where do you, let me rephrase that. How do you seek clarity for yourself? I have also learned this in the past few years, particularly by seeing the differences in how I gain clarity and how my husband gains clarity. And that's really fascinating. I actually need to distance myself from the work or the problem and my best ideas and my real clear thoughts will come. So I work out mainly because it gives me that clarity. My brain is distracted. I don't know what happens chemically. I'm sure there's a lot of explanations, but it really helps me. Sleep really helps me. I'm very much of a dreamer. I dream a lot. My brain processes a lot of things while I'm sleeping. Um, so that is really helpful. And spending time as often as I can, because I live far away from my childhood friends and my family, as often as I can spending time with them, because they are the people who are not going to talk to me about my work or my problems. They don't care. They don't care if I'm successful or not successful, right? They love you as you are and they love you for many other things. And so 
that gives me a lot of clarity. Suddenly, when I come back from spending time with them, I'm like, oh, wow, like now I know why I'm doing this, why I want to keep pushing, but also this other idea and also this problem and also this new thing I want to do for the brand, right? And so that is really fascinating to me how our brains work differently. Uh, Mateo, my co-founder and my husband, he can just sit down and think about a problem and gain clarity and he can think about it for hours and hours and hours. Um, and so just learning your way. And I, I, I love the way you frame it, which is what, is what is the sources, right? And how do you do it is really important in your own growth. You need to know where it comes from. And then you need to like continuously go back to that source and make sure you make time for it. What does carving out that white space for you in your life and in your schedule look like? I have learned to just be so fluid when the time is in, like with the opportunities in front of me, I have to take it. It's hard for me to really plan in advance. And even whether it's a, a trip or a time to spend with my mom, like whatever that is, it's hard. I just don't know where the business will be. Like, I don't know if things will be good, if things maybe will get crazy, you know, the markets, the COVID, like pandemic can hit, like all these things, especially the last few years have really taught me that when the opportunities in front of you, just take it. So this morning I wake up, I have time to work out. I have to work out. Don't wait for later. Don't wait for the afternoon. Don't think I'll skip today. I'll do it tomorrow. Do it today. Cause you have the time today. You don't know what tomorrow morning it's going to look like. So I approach everything in my life in a more fluid way nowadays and just sort of like go with that flow and get the opportunity when it's in front of you. What does self-care mean to you? What it means is mostly just listening to my energy and making sure I'm like analyzing myself, what's an energy taker, what's an energy giver for me and why. So don't just go with what your body tells you or what your mind is telling you, but you really need to get to the root of it. You need to challenge yourself. I think part of self-care for me is pushing myself to grow. I think it's like a water, like a plant, like watering a plant, right? Like you're not just gonna let your plant stay small just because that's the comfortable place where they are today. You want it to grow, you want it to flourish. And so I wanna water that plant. I wanna grow. I wanna see what that next phase of me looks like. And that is part of taking care of myself because I really do think like you are in this world to fulfill your highest potential, not just to stay as you are today. Amen. What are your interests outside of work? Uh, food. Um, I started playing the piano again. I got a piano now that I have leaving a home. I used to play when I was a kid. Um, reading. I like to read stuff also non-business like novels or things like that, that will just spark my imagination. Um, but not really a lot travel, but not a lot more. I mean, I really have to confess. I spend a lot of time working and given that I work with my husband too, we really spend a lot of time talking about work. Is there ever a moment where you need to turn the work switch off together or does it fuel you so much that it doesn't matter? You can talk about it all the time. No, it definitely happens. And it's usually me. I'm like, you know, just please don't talk to me about work anymore. And it, it comes from the place of what I just described of the fact that to me, clarity comes when I'm not talking about it. Right. And so we have learned through the years that it's not that I'm pushing him back because I'm just, you know, lazy or I mean, sometimes I am, but for the most part is I need that space. Give me that space. I know you can keep talking about it all day and it helps you, but it doesn't help me. So let's give ourselves some of that space and we'll do it. Like we now take it in a very positive way. If I'm like, let's stop, we stop. What would your advice be to someone who is either currently working with a partner or interested in working with a partner? And I know that you guys have many other folks on your team, but I imagine in the beginning, it was even more interaction with each other as your team was expanding. 
Yes. And in reality, Mateo's my boss, right? I report to him. So I think the biggest piece of advice I could give to anyone in a similar position, whether it's your partner or a family member, is that you need to focus on, like in any relationship, in respect. It's all about respect and really, truly believing that everything that the person is telling you comes from a place of, um, of, of, of goodness and they just want the best for you. And if you assume that in every conversation, then you're going to avoid a lot of fights and you're going to avoid negative reactions and impulsive reactions to what people may tell you. And the reason is in any relationship and certainly more in business and when you're business partners, there will be the need to give each other a lot of feedback. And the feedback can be positive, but the feedback can be negative. Things that they like that you did, things that they don't like. So if you just assume that what they're telling you comes from that good place, it'll be so much easier to take it, to digest it, but it'll help you both so much you be able to really help each other grow rather than just be this like very stuck old stuffy relationship of boss and, and employee, right? You want more than that in life. And I think that applies even if you don't work together. That's the same principle I would use in just our relationship from a personal standpoint. What does the rest of your support system look like? Oh, there's a lot of people that make it possible for me to work so hard, for us to work so hard and to still be functioning human beings, right? <laughs> so we, we both live away from a family. So my husband, Matteo, grew up in Italy and his family's back there. So you have to sort of build that system around you. Also from like your friends locally, you can spend time with, that you can just, you know, be a person, laugh and talk about other things. That's really valuable. Um, but even the people that come and help us in the house are very important to me. And I've always said that every place where we've lived, our housekeeper, the woman that comes and cooks for us, like they're just so critical to our functioning. Mateo's assist assistant who helps him with all organization. Um, it's important. And then I have my friends and family back home who I know I can call anytime. I can disconnect. I can talk about anything. I can text them. And like, they're a very important part of, of that support system. How, if at all, has moving to Miami shifted the business? It's a good question. I think it shifted a lot of things personally. I think the business went through, this is probably true even before we moved to Miami, but just with the shift of being a remote, remote company, just the need to really focus on results. So it is about what we achieve. It's not about how many hours we're working. And the second is the type of people that we hire that need to align with that type of work. It needs to be people who can be very independent and who want to be in an organization that performs that way. That's very results driven. So safe to say that there is not, or maybe a very limited amount of micromanaging on your team. You really encourage your staff members to be independent. Correct. There's a lot of feedback given. And I think that that's some people may mistake it for micromanaging with the reality is everyone in our team and certainly in our, in our marketing and growth team has goals. Every single individual will know like what they're supposed to achieve this quarter. We talk about it. They are part of that goal setting. So it's never just imposed. And um, that's how we measure their performance. And so it's again, not about how many hours they're working, but usually the goals are ambitious. So that will drive you to work a lot. Um, and that's what also will help them be excited when they're seeing the impact of what they're working day to day. But there's a lot of feedback. They document everything. We, you know, we review from the emails that go out to the web pages, to the ads, to whatever. And so there is a lot of feedback and collaboration in the process. 
how frequently do you as a team identify benchmarks to reach? We basically set goals for the year and goals for the quarter. And in some cases for specific channels of marketing, we'll break them down for a month. Um, so we're looking at our metrics every single week across the board. And we look at those also with Mateo, we'll present them around who's our CEO and how things are doing. And, and we're constantly, if especially when things are not going as well, you'll seek outside benchmarks, be like, are we the only ones what's happening? But also when things are going very well, you need to understand why so that you can learn from that and hopefully maintain that momentum and continue to scale. What's next for Eight Sleep? What is next? Uh, well, we just launched a new product, so that's pretty exciting. We're working on other products now already. So the team's always working on innovations and you were asking me about this before, but the innovation part's really key. We're always, always working on things across hardware and also our software. And uh, from a brand perspective, we've expanded internationally this year pretty significantly. So we're selling into Canada, the UK, Australia, and six countries in Europe. So the rest of this year and also very heavily next year will be focused on really nailing our international marketing strategy. How do we grow in those markets that um, we and are very important for us? We have a presence, but they can be so much bigger. So we want to make sure that we build an organization that can take us there. What is next for Alex, the human? Oh, what is next for me? Well, um, the fun parts are I'm very excited about a trip I'm taking with my mom and my sister where we're taking my mom to Europe for the first time. So that's pretty exciting. I'm really looking forward to it. So we've been planning it for years. So that's pretty cool. And I feel like that's just one of those things that when you work hard and like you're able to afford it, you're like so proud. You're like, this This makes this is how you want to spend your money, right? Experiences with your family just makes so much sense. Um, and I think just also looking forward, even as a human tour Q4 period, it's such an exciting time of work. Anyone that sells to consumers can attest to it. Like the holidays, such big buzzy moment. And there's like so much to learn from that period of time as well. How can we support you and where can we find you? can find you on Twitter, usually pretty active there. You can find our products at eightsleep.com and how you can support me just, you know, spread the gospel on sleep fitness. It doesn't matter what products you use. I think more people should talk about how they're sleeping, what's working from, for them. And it just, it shouldn't be a topic that's just reserved to the bedroom, right? It is such an important part of our mood, of our energy, of how we behave with each other that let's just talk about it more. Let's ask each other, how did you sleep last night? <laughs> and share all of the tips and tricks. I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. You're such a wealth of knowledge. And I just love your perspective on life, on the hustle, on all the things. No, thank you for having me. Of course. Friends, that interview was just beyond. A big thank you to Alexandra for coming on the show. Another big thank you to our hosts at Dash Radio and producers at Island City Media. If you liked this episode, you can listen to it again on Shopify and Apple Podcasts. Please leave a review so we can continue bringing you the people and conversations that you love, just like Alex. Lastly, if you want to connect with me offline, you can find me at Marin Costello Radio on Instagram and MarinCostello.com. Have the most beautiful day, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will see you next week. Baby, what you need is a woman like me. I'm tired of seeing that frown upon your face. Baby, what you need is the kind of security. You know that you can find it in me. 
Just right now, help on my chest right now with you. 